The Zooier Than Thou podcast contains mature content and language and may not be suitable for younger audiences. Thanks for your understanding. Zooier Than Thou is on. You can join the howl. Zooier Than Thou is on. You can join the howl. Greetings, fellow zoos. And welcome to a very interesting episode of Zooier Than Thou. I'm your resident delusional, indoctrinated, social Marxist, SJW, white knight, cock, toggle. And I'm Kion, your guest delusional, indoctrinated, outright communist, ethically obsessed humanist, Nikola Tesla, praising techie dog, showing up in place of Fausti, who is currently out literally saving the world. And we'll be your tour guides on this zooey adventure. I'm so excited, I've never been a guide dog before. Tell me when I do good. <laughs> You're going to do fine. You've been around in this community for as long as Fausty has. You're plenty qualified to fill his ancient, ancient shoes. Wow, thanks. Come to notice, I do have some gray in my whiskers. It's also less work on me because I don't have to mongrel your voice. We got compliments on your sonorous performance last time. My voice is mongrel enough already, but wow, really? We really did. Boy, that ZT horse has a wonderful reading voice. It's so nice to hear him finally. Whoops. Sounds like you didn't warn anyone you had voice actors for the show. I just didn't bother to correct him is all. Some of our guests aren't comfortable airing their voices for fear of very real potential repercussions. And some of our guests don't have microphones, so that makes it a bit hard to put together a podcast interview. And these things are understandable when you're a persecuted minority, but there's no reason why their voices can't be amplified. I thank you for having the courage and audacity to do it. I'm nothing if not audacious. You know, you and Fausti are a little alike, actually. Oh, how I could count the ways. But what were you thinking of? <laughs> There's definitely a reason he likes you. Intelligent gray muzzles with similar interests, both stubborn as a mule, and both completely unafraid to call people out on their bullshit. Well, now, I've known some very cooperative mules, but that's another story. <laughs> Me... I ain't nothing but a hound dog, just a howling all the time. And boy, can you bark. But we should climb right into our mailbag for this episode. We've got our first email from a non-zoo listener. A non-zoo writes, Hi, I wanted to let you know that you are doing a great job with the podcast. I'm happy to have finally found a zoo-themed podcast that's not just like all the rest. Yours really stands out. In all honesty, though, as a non-zoo, I'm learning and being entertained. You guys are fun. Thank dog you found us. It's really awesome to hear that we're definitively reaching beyond our zooey audience into the outer realms. Anonzu continues, As a suggestion, you could release the episodes in other platforms so it would get more attention and thus give more exposure to the community. Good news. Per your suggestion, we're now available on Spotify, Google, Amazon, and YouTube. I think we've covered all the major bases, but if anyone out there knows of a podcasting listing that Zooier Than Thou can benefit from, we're all ears. Though, as with most hound dogs, I am, of course, mostly ears. <laughs> as a question, they continue, don't you prefer the term zoosexual? It sounds better in my opinion. Fair. I can see how it conveys a bit more nuance than to accidentally associate us with all the other files that medical terminology links mm. with disorders and society connects with disturbing kinks and perversions. Mm. I'll state that Zoophile describes the observable behavior of a human-animal relationship, where Zoosexual describes the subjective experience of many in human-animal relationships. Which you choose should probably depend on what aspect you're speaking about at the time, or use what you want. Most aren't capable of sniffing out that type of semantic nuance anyway. <laughs> True. I don't know if it really matters. When I'm speaking about zoo in the sense of sexuality, you know, homosexual, bisexual, zoosexual fits in nicely. It's really more accurate for us in a psychological sense, I think. But I've identified as a zoophile for so long, I'm hard-pressed to make a hard switch. Plus, Zoophile, at its semantic core, gets the message across. Lover of animals. It means more than sexuality. It means that my love for animals extends into deeper realms than most people experience. In the end, it's a matter of semantics, and both have their valid reasons for use. That was a really cool question, though. I'll have to get Fauci to weigh in on it next time. The email continues. To toggle, 
The response you gave at 52.25 in episode 3.5 felt really true and beautiful. It hit me. To Fausti, I hope your health will only get better. You guys rock. Keep it up. Do you know what part he's talking about? Uh, yeah, I was speaking about my experience with depression over my sexual identity. And I'm so glad to hear that my reply touched anyone at all, let alone a Nanzu has, who has no fur in the game. That means a lot. And I really hope everything we do here has that kind of positive effect for people. We are a different breed, as zoos. And that's not only okay, it's important. If you take anything away from this podcast, I hope it's that. Also, as Fausti's cardboard stand-in here, I should thank you for wishing well to our dear friend. He's doing a whole lot for zoos, for cancer patients, and for animals, and he's doing it at a time when sometimes he can't even read a script because the chemo blurs his vision. He's fighting because that's what he does, and this show wouldn't be what it is without his guidance. Seriously, Fausti does a lot for this show, and I wouldn't even be here doing it if it weren't for him. I'm super grateful, and I do hope he gets a break at some point. Fausti at full capacity is a force to be reckoned with, and boy, if you could hear that in action, it would really be something else. Truly, that dog does too much, and he deals with too much bullshit, too. Anyone out there sending positive vibes to our friend is much appreciated. Hearing from a non-zoo listener was really a treat. Thanks a ton for writing in. Up next, here's a truly heartfelt email from Super Size Sam. Sam writes, <clears throat> I want to suck a massive horse's fat cock. Wow. Elegant in its brevity. Canid in its directness. <laughs> truly serves to elevate the discourse. A high mark in a line of bluntly informative listener responses. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's spam, but thanks for enlightening us, Sam. Sam spam. Spam from Sam. <laughs> Thank you for that Seinfeld moment. Now we truly are a show about nothing. There is one more, yes? <laughs> there sure is. Do you want to do the honors? I'd be delighted. Our next one comes from the Lesbian Necrophage. Then Lesbian writes, First off, I want to say that I adore this podcast. Though I may be a tad biased as this is the only zoo podcast I've listened to, it still brings me great happiness and has gotten me connected with so many fellow Zetas. I binged up to episode 3 in one sitting and instantly got mingled into Zooville after its mentioning, and I am so happy to finally feel like I have a place in the community. Oh, wow, thanks a ton. That's really great to hear. If we're connecting people in the community, we are doing dog's work. Welcome indeed. May we mingle in the future. The Necrophage continues. I tried getting into the community a few years ago when the furry fandom was digging its paws into Telegram and the unfortunate toxicity I was met with being a female Zeta in a mm. few of the constantly rotating or self-detonating chats. I won't bother to name off had led me to a past three or so years where I have felt more than alone. Gosh, I hate to say it, but that toxicity is real. Even in my favorite zoo chat, there's a very palpable misogyny. And it's not like every dude in that sausage fest of a chat is a misogynist, but the three or so of them that are go unchecked because no one wants to start a conflict with them. And that sets the tone for the entire environment. It doesn't go unnoticed by others in the chat, as we've discussed in private messages. And finally, the other night, I couldn't ignore it. One guy said, and this is a direct quote, No problem having women on this chat, but they should be decent human beings, not the feminist trash that makes up 80% of the sex these days. Yeesh. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe he should be a decent sentient being too. Right? I pressed him about it and he said, quoting here, Oh, women aren't trash, just many women behave like trash. Being not wrong doesn't make you right. Men aren't assholes, just many men behave like assholes, shitting all over everything. <laughs> You're not saying anything substantially different. It's no better. It's not. And there's so much I want to say as an indoctrinated socialist cuck, but the point is, this isn't a comfortable space for women. So no, when you invite women to be in your chat, and all of them decline, and you're left scratching your head wondering why, it's because you cultivate a hostile environment towards women in your space, casually dropping Red Bull takes on feminism and speaking disparagingly about how women are entitled. If you're so concerned about being respected by the other half, maybe the first thing you should do is show the other half a little bit of respect. 
Because boy, if that straw man feminist you've constructed saw you, they'd sure feel very validated casually talking about how 80% of men are trash. Oh, I'm sorry, that many men behave like trash. Because it's not misandry if we're just using hyperbole, right? It's truly frustrating when you've learned so much about the place every human inhabits in our society to see people who simply haven't a clue on so many matters. Huh. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect applied to social interactions. He has so much to learn, he doesn't even realize what he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. He's so kindergarten, he doesn't know if his ass is drilled, reamed, bored, or punched. <laughs> but shit sure is flying out of it. <laughs> well, it's quite a visual. But eventually, all that shit piles up, and the place starts to stink. We need to be aware of it as a community. The email continues. This brings up the topic of female Zetas that I was originally going to just start off writing about. But we do exist. I swear we are not just a machination of the human machine bred through the minds of corporations and dignitaries to try and make you think that we must have human partners to keep humanity going, or something <laughs> crazy along those lines. Anyways, I'm glad that you want more female representation in the community and specifically on your podcast, because the lack of representation has led us all to be together in sort of small niche groups away from how things used to reign on these forms. Right. Such as being viewed as objects just to take giant knots or right. horse dongs for the pleasure of a viewer. Uh, never really poking our heads out for anything but the occasional meetup and promise of comfort among each other. I hope that in the future, the community will grow and become what I feel it could always have been. A safe haven for anyone loving, accepting, and caring of any background, gender, sexuality, and all things zooey. Honestly, well said, my corpse-eating friend. I think part of it starts with being aware of each other and how our actions affect one another. Being a community means being advocates for one another. <laughs> that doesn't mean we all have to like each other, but it does mean that we can't allow our prejudices to hold anyone back from participating in our community. As this dog is a gay homosexual, I can relate to that feeling of exclusion on some level. Safe, warm snuggles and kisses, always. <laughs> the lesbian necrophage? We would be honored to have you on the show to give us a female perspective on all things zooey and wonderful. We certainly look forward to hearing from you again in our mailbox. And if you're a female zoo that's listening out there, please drop us a line. We definitely want to hear from you. And if anyone of any background wants to have their voices heard, please drop us a line using the form at our site, zoo.wtf, or in our Twitter DMs at zooier than thou. Diversity is the spice of zooey, gooey life. Stay tuned for more of the zooey, gooey good stuff right after a word from our sponsors. I think I have some gooey stuff right here, Toggle. Hmm? Imagine if a mule had a knot. Today's episode is brought to you by Zed's Zooey Bed and Breakfast. You and your beloved can enjoy a weekend of happy canoodling, complete with room service and plenty of romantic trails through the surrounding forests and fields. Let Zed set the stage for your Zooey family to relax, unwind, recharge, and share the kind of pressure-free happy time that makes it all worthwhile. Also by Zooey, Dewey, and Murs, LLP. Zoos defending zoos. When you need the draft stallions of the legal world on your team, call Zooey Dewey first. And finally, by YouTube, Spotify, and I why are, why are we bleeping Are we not allowed to say Well, how are we supposed to let people know that we're available in Come on, give me a break. Are you kidding me? Good evening, and thank you for joining us for Eyewitness Zoos at 6 o'clock. Our top story tonight, Zooey or Zooish? The never-ending debate. Clip Kickerson has the story. Thanks, nameless Anchorman. The Zooey versus Zooish debate has dominated the online discourse in the zoo community for the past six months, give or take. I took to the streets to ask you, the average everyday zoos, your take on the subject. Shucks. I've always been a little Zooish myself. I don't understand all these people who want to be Zooey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Zooey and Zooish are two very distinct things. If you're Zooish, that just means you think about being Zooey. But if you're Zooey, that's more of an action. They're very distinct. Look, if you're Zooish, well, you want to be Zooey. 
So I really don't understand why people want to draw the line between the two. They're really not that different. When Zoish people make a distinction between being Zoish and Zooey, it just serves to create a useless moral distinction that puts Zooey people down. It's okay to be Zoish and it's okay to be Zooey. They're both okay. I don't know what the difference is. If you're Zoish, then you're Zooey. And if you're Zooey, then you're Zoish. Either way, Zoo's got a zoo. Zoish people are just in denial. You're all Zooey and you know it. I'm proud to be Zooey. I wouldn't pretend to be Zooish if my life depended on it. As you can see, there are a lot of different perspectives on this issue, and the war rages on. Zooish or Zooey? Different or similar? And does it really matter? In this reporter's humble opinion, we're all zoos at the end of the day. And maybe that's all we need to bind us together. Back to you, nameless people in the studio. Thanks, Clip. Coming up, Tide Pods. Are people really eating them? How do they taste? We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. You know, Fausti is such a strong guide for this show that it, it really does feel like something's missing without him here. Something substantive. So I asked myself, what would Fausti do? One thing I know Fausti wants to do with our podcast is to showcase different Zooey perspectives. This was never meant to be a two-zoo show where we dictate the discourse of the community. We wanted other people to feel empowered to share their experiences and thoughts, and to be a vehicle for zoo voices to be heard. Another thing Fausti wants is to give a historical perspective of the zoo community, but to give a context to our community that new members may never get the chance to otherwise experience. So today, I'm going to speak with our guest host, Kayan, about his experiences as a zoo. Kayan has been about in our community at least as long as our buddy Fausti, and in talking with him, I think his perspective is very unique and worth sharing. So, without further blathering ado, let's meet Kayan. Hi, I'm Kayan. <laughs> sound like Fausti there with your deadpan voice. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kayan. Now, Kayan, how did you find yourself involved with the zoo community? Well, when I first came to live in the Pacific Northwest, I was connecting with the zoos that I had met online on IRC. Ah. So it was very soon after my arrival here, like literally weeks, uh, when I had already connected and met uh, half a dozen different zoos that uh, lived in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Ah, so you guys used IRC chats at that time. What, what uh, like servers? Wow, let's try to remember that one. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> Fnet on the channel uh, Hash Dog Sex. Oh my god, um, I love that. Was pro- probably the one. I there was also a dog sex on some other ones like Undernet. There was, of course, the usual schisms in the communities and flipping between networks. But uh-huh. uh, uh, being a, a canine aficionado. They, I was definitely on the dog sex channels. That's interesting. I love the idea that it's just these dog sex channels and anyone can get access, and you can you can get a list of all of the channels on a particular server. So dog sex is just sitting right there for you to find. Amongst the 150,000 other channels. How do you stumble across something like that then? You have to search for it? You, you literally get referred to it, uh, not because it's not on the list, but because even getting the list is... Uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, 150,000. I'm used to like Fernet, where it's like 150. Yeah, yeah, it was a very large IRC networks back in the day, and they did not... Uh, you could ask for a channel list, but even making sense of it was difficult, <laughs> much less actually downloading the whole thing at that time. Wow. Uh, so it was like a, a, a place like Sleepy's. Uh, would ref would have uh, references to places like that. Well, what's Sleepies? Wow. Yeah. Uh, Sleepies is a what they call a talker, a text-based uh, uh, hub for people to connect to and to chat with each other. Um, basically, a, a very simple forum system, and uh, with some chat, simple chat rooms that you could connect to from anywhere on the internet with a simple program called Telnet. Oh, wow. Man, you were really going back. <laughs> yeah, I've been on the net since almost before it was 
in internet. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was on CompuServe <laughs> talking about sex with dogs before the internet was a thing. <laughs> you know, one thing that one thing that strikes me about you is that you're very casual with your zoo sexuality. I'm so used to working with people like Fausti, who is the most paranoid motherfucker you will ever meet, and you're very much the opposite. Well, I came into this as the way I learned about sexuality was with the dog because my Mormon family had certainly no interest in telling me anything about anything <laughs> when it came to sex. Because I had been talking about it online with people at almost the same time as I was exploring it, it never was a taboo in that inherent visceral sense that many people who've been inculcated with self-hatred over such things seem to have gotten. Um, I just kind of missed it, whiffed right by my head, and I ended up being pretty relaxed about it. Not that that uh, didn't cause me troubles from time to time. (laughs) Well, it's, it's really interesting because um, you're a, you are an you're an opinionated man, Kayan. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I I sure am uh, willing to open my mouth and dispense some uh, uh, nuggets. <laughs> nuggets. Um, I understand you actually worked with some of the early internet zoo pornographers back in the day, and I say early pornographers because by the time I found what you guys were producing you guys were no longer producing them and so we're gonna go with early pornographers but you know I'm always really skeptical about the commercialized porn industry in general and even more so when it comes to zoo porn like commercial zoo porn there's a lot of legitimate concern for the welfare of the animals involved particularly thanks to the non-zoo animal porn industry's use of restraints sedatives Uh, And the general theme of, like, degradation rather than highlighting an attraction to animals. So, was that a concern for the people that you worked with at that time? I think it was always a knowledge and a concern. Uh, Fortunately, they were zoophiles. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps a bit more on the bestialist side of the spectrum than zoophiles, strictly speaking. But that was not without attachment and appreciation for the animals. The, uh actual process of filming, which I was only privy to very rarely. Uh, I was a, primarily a technical resource. Programming, websites, mm-hmm. fun stuff like that. Transaction systems. Uh, the actual production was really just a half amateur camera work against a uh, performer playing with the animal. Whether they were good at it or experienced or what was varied. It varied based <laughs> on the performer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one that you showed me. Some of them, I mean, if you've ever watched Pet Lust videos, and frankly, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd be moderately surprised if you hadn't encountered any of them. They tended to be kind of hard to see, very small in size, and uh, I can't say I was ever particularly impressed, <laughs> um, but... At the time, it seemed all right, and they were making money selling the things, so that was cool. I was never concerned that they were abusing the animal. It was just, yeah, they're photographing sex. The animal seems to be having a good time, too. (laughs) So one thing you mentioned, that because I think these definitions are really kind of unclear, is the difference between a zoophile and a bestialist. So in this context, what, what would you define those differences as? Well... Bestialist is very much the physical aspect, uh, more of a, it's titillating because it's a dog, uh, that there's an interest in um, sticking a dick in something or receiving a fucking from an animal that's exciting and novel because it's an animal, Hmm. Um, rather than having formed any sort of relationship with the animal uh, of of trust and and familiarity. Hmm. Um, You you can't jump a fence and and screw a dog and consider that to be really much more than bestialism because you haven't done anything. You you haven't formed a relationship with it. Right. You, the dog may be very friendly and eager to get to know you, but you still haven't established anything. Right. Now, the reason I ask that is because I know, you know, some people consider bestialism like um, a lack of concern for the dog as a 
a sexual object in the sense of like there's no consideration for you know its well-being or its feelings in the matter it's just that's what's going to happen which is not what i feel like you described it's not entirely not what i described it's like they kind of overlap mm-hmm. um you could characterize somebody who is acting without such consideration as a bestialist and you wouldn't be wrong right on the other hand I think that the aspects of it that are your that would are being found reprehensible, the lack of caring for them, is not part of bestialism. That's just right. being that's just being an ass. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you, it doesn't define the, the, the act. sex. Right. The dog, the the an, the animal sex is the bestialism. The disregard for other people is uh, soci sociopathy. Oceanopathy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely right. So anyway, uh, so your part was behind the scenes, but I remember one particular video you showed me because we were talking about the amateurness of it, where this poor man just did not understand how to get mounted. Yeah, it was actually white hot poker. Huh. Zane, my my uh, my lover of so many years ago, hmm. uh, was the white hot poker. White hot so poker. So Zane and. Zane and I knew each other so well that that I could basically drop my drawers, drop to my knees, and he could be fully fully embedded in me in seconds. Wow! He was. We were very experienced. We had sex hundreds, not thousands of times. So it was not a. Uh, I, he knew how to do it. I knew how to expect him, but the performer did not, <laughs> and just wouldn't do the right move in the right angle of putting the hips and stuff and I wasn't even sure how to explain it to him I'm just like dude I can just drop and the god dog's tying me and here you are like struggling with the whole thing it's uh there's so much to know about body language and positioning that you gain from the experience I mean even me with a dog that I'm not familiar with I probably have a better chance of success but Dogs are different. Right. I mean, they're individuals. I knew a St. Bernard who would just kind of, like, nuzzle up to you and lean on your back, and then suddenly uh, your eyes are bulging. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Where other dogs are like, spike, 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 pack, 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 try to to jam themselves in you instead. Right. It's uh, so... Different, different. How different animals have learned to have sex too. Right. Yeah. And that's an that's an interesting thing because uh, somewhere along the line, there's a technique you develop, and if no one's there to teach you how to develop it, well, your results may vary. Yeah. And, and certainly one of the the differences the more experienced fellows like me will 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 recognize with zoophiles and aspiring zoophiles is uh, we went and learned we went and played with the dog we didn't ask for questions and help about it so it always feels a little weird when people aren't willing to go out and just do right well i mean that's i think a lot of it is something you gain in being around animals you you gain that knowledge to know how they communicate you gain the knowledge to know you know how do i how do i know the white hot poker is horny today you know, that stuff sort of happens intuitively. You develop it as part of a relationship uh, or a relationship with multiple animals. You just understand how animals work. That is something that I've always found really interesting about Fausti. Because Fausti is basically like a horse whisperer. I've always been impressed by that because horses are like talking, uh, you know, Romanian at me. I'll just kind of give you a <laughs> blank look. <laughs> I have no idea what they're on about. <laughs> Felsi is very much a, a kind of a horse. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of knowledge, actually. He's a horse and dog. You're looking at someone who has been around these animals since he was, like, three years old. Like, riding a horseback at, like, toddler age. That's a lot of experience. Yeah. But add, it adds up over a long life. Right. And so that... And, and being exposed at that level, I mean, the, the level of intuition that someone has being around animals exposed to that well it's like trying to to win a race against a race car driver that's that was you know tearing around on dirt bikes when he was taught when he was little more than a toddler and doing shifter carts by the time he was 10 right 
And that's you're not going to beat him. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> you you can't catch up to that. Right. It's absolutely true. Um, and that's kind of how fast he is. He's he's that. He's that guy who is like, yeah, I've been uh, doing champions and horseback riding since I was ten. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I don't understand why you don't understand this. It's hard to even quantify the things that you have learned over so much time that they're and now become intuitive. Right. That's the thing that really sets zoo files apart, I think, in general, from just your layman non-zoophile. Yeah, the the exposure has been there. Right. They And even if they didn't have it readily available, like when I was a kid, we didn't have a dog. Right. I exposed myself to dogs by, like, sneaking over to the neighbor's dog and building a relationship with him. Right. And Fausti had a similar <laughs> sexual awakening with a dog. Um, a neighbor's dog, actually. I'm gonna go over there and hang out with this dog. Oh! <laughs> wow! Yeah. Uh, Looks very hello. milky! <laughs> <laughs> What's this? <laughs> but that's it. It's that level of intuition that you gain in interacting with animals that other people are not interested in developing. And I think a lot of the what you have with these people who are kind of like, oh, you know, what do I do? One, I think that's healthy. Asking what do I do when you don't know? Thank God you're doing that. Because, uh, you know, I, I grew up without that resource. And I had no idea what I was doing when I was 12 years old. Yeah, who does? Right. <laughs> but I didn't have any resources to go, hey, what the fuck am I doing? I remember the first time I had sex with a dog. Uh, when he pulled out, he had his, you know, his knotted boner. And I was like, oh, shit. That's never going away. Everyone's going to know I had sex with this dog because he's got this this thing hanging out. That's not supposed to be there, and it won't go away. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the panic. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the panic marked all of my early sexual experiences. I had explored the dog enough from masturbating mm-hmm. with him that I knew kind of what the shape and... I didn't know what the knot was. I thought it was his balls or something. <laughs> but... Uh, his balls coming up into his shaft. <laughs> it's it it hey it made sense at the time. I was only like twelve or thirteen, um, and that was just just what was there. It was kind of like I accepted it because that was what was there. Right. You know? Um. I I didn't have any resources to ask. Right. But I'm not even sure that it would have occurred to me to seek a resource to ask. <laughs> right. <laughs> But you know, like, people are getting into it a little later. I love that. First of all, they have the intuition to ask before ever trying anything. Uh, because they're, you know, at a certain point, you're, you just, it's kind of nice to know what you're doing ahead of time. And two, I love that there's the resources of a community that can say, oh, let me tell you what a dog knot is. And let me tell you that you need to do this or else it's going to hurt a lot. You know, that sort of thing. I would have loved yeah, that. Absolutely. I would have loved I'm not, loved I, that. I think I, the the anatomy lesson would have been interesting. Right. Um, the actual experience part of it, mm-hmm. I don't think there's really anything you could say about that. I mean, there's <laughs> no substitute for experience. That's for sure. And um, uh, one thing that Fausti always noticed with uh, zoos is how animals react to them. In a natural sense. There's a, a... There is a... I can quantify it this way. Um, my dog can tell how my uh, stature is, how my body language is as I walk the dog down the street. Even when she's pretty much in front of me, they do have a wide field of view. If I can collapse my shoulders because... I'm being kind of differential towards other people and not trying to be aggressive on the street. This is important as people who live in bad neighborhoods know. Um, The dog will recognize that and try and step up and be in charge. If I strut, the dog drops right back. And the difference is just a few seconds and they see it. Um, That back and forth communication between the animal and the human and how they see each other and react to each other's body language 
is a language that only comes with experience and uh and that's why one person can walk up to a horse and get bitten and another person can walk up to a horse and pet their nose exactly and that, that's the thing it's that fausti explained it as like how do you look at an animal and one person sees a horse and says that's a horse you know a horse is a beast of burden and you know horses are scary or uh, horses are dumb or something like that and the horse gets us a vague sense of what that what that is in your interaction with them a zoophile will go towards a horse and say holy shit this horse is an amazing creature and you know I, all i want to do is kind of understand it and, and the horse can see the horse can see you they make a movement and they see you respond with movements of your own that's all it takes right and i've always kind of loved that um that is kind of the difference in the way that a zoo interacts with an animal and as opposed to just a regular person. Or at least someone who's familiar with animals in general. Well, yeah. And someone who's familiar with animals in general has a different, a very different understanding of what animals are and what, you know... Seeing the animal as other than just an object is evident to the animal. Right. Someone who's familiar with animals knows intuitively that this animal, first of all, you know, it's an individual, has its own personality, uh, has its own... Uh, motivations and, and wants and desires uh, you get that sense by working with them and that is something that is missing from the greater you know human society we are far more disconnected from animals than as humans we used to be and so we have these giant misconceptions of you know their abilities and what their value is and uh, who they are as a society you can't, you don't really, if you've been working with animals a lot, you don't have that misconception. I'd love to be able to acknowledge animals more than I do, uh, because I really, like, literally, I don't speak horse. Right. Uh, but with a dog, um, I'm not going to get bitten by a dog uh, just because I'm standing there, you know. I know what to do. I know how to counter. You know, it's like uh, Caesar Milan, but I, I'm going to be able to interact with this dog because I know how to interact with the dog. Right. You speak the language. Yeah. So, you've been around for a little while. Earlier, you warned me that your memory was shoddy and your involvement in the, a lot of the discourse of the community was more sidelined. But, given those caveats, how do you think that our community has changed over time? Lately, I have not been particularly participating in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to hang out with Kalzu, and they had various events and stuff that may be semi-famous in just being a fairly active zoo group through the 2000s, 90s, 2000s. Now, what is this? Cal, um, Cal Zoo, like California? Yes, exactly. Right, so, what? Um, tell me about that. What is that? Well, it's a kind of fairly informal, as of necessity, being a zoo organization <laughs> of uh, of zoos who would get together and have a party, and they were a, lot of, a bunch of friends, really, and uh, were pretty open to more zoo files coming along as long as they were. Uh, uh, reasonable people, you know. Right. Um, I encountered them uh, first way up in Portland. I had uh, just moved into a little loft in downtown Portland back in 1995 or so. And I had been talking with them online and they were coming to town. Um, Wolf was coming to town. Uh, he's pretty much the leader of the group. And they, uh, and I was like, you should all come over my place and we'll have you know we'll hang out and eat chips and talk and go somewhere for dinner or something um and i had that gathering it was legendary in my history of my poor memory i can still remember that that uh, a lot of that party uh, i met the legendary randy oh, Lord. Uh, yeah <laughs> he, oh my god I, this is before his fall from grace <laughs> i should right. say um I met a bunch of fellas that probably shouldn't even say their names. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, Bleep those out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bleep, beep, beep. Um, those guys. And made friends. And that lasted for, uh, you know, my contacts that were made there lasted many years. Um, I was down in California for about five years. We used to have regular um, meetups in Sacramento and uh, Oakland that uh, we'd just hang out and barbecue and and watch a movie or something. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, it was nice really to have cool. friends that shared that knowledge of each other and uh, interest. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, it sounds like a furry gathering. <laughs> almost identical. <laughs> in fact, there's a, such a big overlap there, it's almost hard for me to discern the two in my head. Um, right. There's a lot of uh, furries that are zoophiles, that's for sure. You know, when I was growing up in the fandom, it was very much like an unspoken, like, you, you just know that's the case. You don't really talk about it, but it's there, and everyone knows, but no <laughs> one says it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. You know, the the guys that uh, that have a dog with them, you know, it's, oh, I see. Or you learn they learn live on a ranch with, with, uh, with horses. It's like, well, they might not be. You're not going to, like, confront them about it, because that's a great way to get yourself in trouble. But, right. <laughs> but you, 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 you make, you send off the signals that you know that you care to send off. Um, right. After, after I left California, after Wolf died in a car accident, oh. um, the a lot of the, uh, my interactions with other zoos just kind of petered off, um, my best friend is, and he's moved around various places too, but uh, it's just like, I met him in the zoo community, and he's been one of the, you know, bedrocks of my life. So you, you find friends where you find them, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't, it's like, how is it different now? I wouldn't say it's so different. I guess oh, you could say the, the, the paranoia, the modern uh, justifiable paranoia on the internet and people's concern for their identities uh, is a, a pretty serious hamper. I mean, there's got to be a lot, of, a lot of zoos out there who have all the interest in the world and maybe even a pile of experience, and they are scared shitless mm. of even whispering about it online. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to be communi communicating with anybody. Uh, because of that, right? The witch hunts that go on have have you know poisoned the next generation, uh, much of the next generation, from being able to do that, communicate that way, which is right. which is pretty sad. Um, I think that that's the biggest change. That it just seems like there's a lot of, of of fear. So that's interesting. This is an interesting thing because I think growing up with that fear, you just assume that it's always been that way. I'm sure for many people it has. <laughs> But like I said, I somehow managed to skip it. <laughs> um, I, I should tell you about it causing me a little bit of trouble. <laughs> uh, once upon a time, back when the web was young, <laughs> um, I I created a website. And I put a bunch of pros on there. I put my life story. I put my stories that I wrote, many of which are still on my website, mm -hmm. uh, which has a different domain now. But had the same domain for a long time, too. So I had this little website, and I built it, and people would ask about me, and I got tired of them asking the same questions all the time. ASL. Just go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. ASL. And they read about it. That's a, that is yeah. a generational thing. Oh, yes. Yes. That was, that's an IRC-ism. Well, uh, it, it, it made it to AOL. Surf. It was in AOL. That was when I was there. Uh, yeah, it was in CompuServe before it was in AOL. But, yeah, totally, totally back in that age. Um so I made the website and I was completely open on the website. I told the story of me and the dog, the first sex I ever had and all these other things and including like where I worked and where I lived. Oh and my God. <laughs> so, you know, people would be like scared shitless about that these days. I was just like, it's all true. What's the problem? Right. <laughs> you know, what am I hiding from? You know, a 14-year-old having sex with a dog is not a crime. Right, right. <laughs> it, it just simply isn't. <laughs> uh, still isn't, strangely enough. Um, <laughs> so I was like, it's not an issue. But what the, the fatal flaw that caused the trouble was that the company I worked for, yeah. which I had named on my main page, like four layers of link away from the story, um, <laughs> was... Had didn't I did not have a website <gasps> yet? Oh no! So when and they, they produced, them. and they yeah, and they produced educational software. Oh my god! <laughs> so people would go looking for this this company online, which didn't exist, and even after they existed online, the older page got precedent precedence, right? Right. So I'm like the first return or second return on this company. 
Oh my God. That's making educational software. <laughs> and if you were to research my site enough to have read, and I swear you'd probably have to read for 30, 30 minutes solid in order to find this content, you could find this story on my website. And they told me to take it down. And I was like, uh, this is my site. You don't really, you don't have the right to, you know, tell me, take it down. (laughs) So, so I just like edited the page and put, you know, censored in, in place of the name of the company. Good. (laughs) That's a good compromise. (laughs) And, and they, so having established that they managed to get me to do that, they then fired me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so, so I pretty much lost my job over, you know, being a zoo and being open well, about I it. I think there was a little bit more to and, it than just being a zoo and being open about it because there was the fact that you were the first thing that came up for the company's name. That's a that's a problem. Well, <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> they should have had a web preference. That they didn't have a website. <laughs> I was more on top of the internet than the company I worked for. <laughs> <laughs> that is just fucking hilarious. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But that wouldn't certainly wouldn't happen these days, right? Man, the 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 uh, the naivete of the early ranking algorithms, after all, is uh, pretty high. Oh yeah, definitely. They, they've evolved quite a lot. Uh, so that was that. Well, that was the story of how I managed to lose a job over being a zoo. They they weren't too happy with having discovered that. Oh, certainly. That was probably the most vanilla way that I lost my job for being a zoo could have gone. <laughs> Well, it wasn't like I got brought up on charges right. after all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, this was, this is a problem. Oh, that's funny. Uh, so then, so then that, that probably was an, another formative part of my lack of particular concern. You know, even though I ran afoul of losing my job over it, it didn't put me in jail. It didn't, you know, cause me to stop getting work. It just right. was the side you know, side thing that happened right. and you know the environment today about how the internet works and what companies for instance know about you online totally different the fear like and this is actually gross i think this is a gross fear the fear that you could that a company will look you up and fire you for something that you've posted online it's expected it's just like that's what you do you give you expect that your job is going to like find your Facebook and look at your Facebook and decide if whether or not your posting stuff is good for the company I, or not. Well, I think there's a slight bit of nuance there uh, because companies have a distinct apathy. They don't care. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. If they're if they're firing, if they they don't care what you're doing on Facebook, they, they couldn't care less. It doesn't even reflect on them, even particularly if you put their company as your employer on Facebook. If you're being fired, they decided they wanted to fire you, uh, and we're looking for a uh, reason. <laughs> you know, if it's because of your Facebook post, it's not because of your Facebook post. It's because they don't like you. <laughs> if they like you, they just say, "Yeah, he made a Facebook post. Who cares?" <laughs> No, now they they just found an ostensible reason, and they're gonna fire you. So find another job. Right. <laughs> it's uh, and that fear, but they they survive. They get so much out of that fear. Yeah. It's really kind of yeah. bothersome. Yeah, exactly. And I think that fear also translates into everything else that we do online with our identities and and all of that. So there's always this pervasive fear that something you do online is gonna bite you in the ass. Yeah. Well. I wish I could just like present myself as an example of you can do a lot of shit online. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> that was a pretty egregious foul that you played against that company. That's very funny. <laughs> well, I want to thank you. We've been t- rambling on forever. It's been a ton of fun. I, I but, hope um, you cut it. I, have a I will be cutting this. Don't worry. I'll be cutting yeah, it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> But I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you for talking to me, Kion. Uh, and thank you for stepping in. When Fausti couldn't be available, come and help host the show. I know that he's going to be super grateful. Uh, I hope he gets better soon from whatever is ailing him. 
Alright, stay tuned for more Zooey adventures on Zooier Than Thou. Welcome back to Ask Zooey, the top-rated cross-species relationship advice segment by the host of this show. I'm Zooey, your most fabulous mistress of the knot and flair. And I'm a rat of no consequence, affectionately called Toggle. We're always looking for more questions from Zooey fans, so please send them our way through the form on zoo.wtf or through my own occasionally fabulous Twitter, at AskZooey. That's Z-O-O-E-Y. Life's too short for the missed connections page on Craigslist. That's why we got rid of it. <laughs> Let's jump right in. We've got a very important question from Distraught in Delaware, who writes... Dear Zooey, I've lived with my human for about five years, and I couldn't ask for a more loving partner. Recently, though, he's been offered a well-paying job in another city, but no matter where he looks, every home and apartment specifically discriminates against pit bulls. But I'm a pit bull. I've never bitten anyone in my life, and, and heck, I love kids. But the laws in the city say dogs like me are a danger to the public safety. My human may not have a choice but to move, but that can mean leaving me behind. If that's the case, what happens to me? What are we supposed to do? Zooey, I'm not just in danger of losing my relationship and the love of my life. I could also lose my home. I don't know what to do. Please, please help. These are truly dire circumstances, and we understand why you're distraught. Distraught. Breed-specific legislation often unfairly targets certain breeds of dogs based on their sloppy and empirically wobbly assumption that specific breeds are by their very nature and genetics inevitably more prone to unjustified violence. For instance, pit bulls are commonly cited as having, quote, locking jaws, ideal for dogfighting. But that's not true. It's a silly urban legend, like sewer alligators, or hamsters in gay folks' butts. They're also reported to be more aggressive than other dogs, even though studies show they're consistently among the least aggressive breeds when ranked by unprovoked acts of violence against humans. The little yippy breeds tend to top those lists, actually. Regardless of whether we're talking about a pit bull or a chihuahua, breed-specific legislation is most often based on false pretenses and is best seen as a form of security theater rather than effective legislation to prevent dog-on-human violence. Unfortunately, that theater can and does do real damage to real families and their non-human members. Destroyant is a victim of this breed discrimination, and tragically, she's not alone. You have to wonder how many dogs lose their homes and end up on the streets, in the pound, or pushed right into the gas chamber of death because of breed discrimination in housing and in city ordinances. Every one of those statistics is a tragedy like the one Distraught is facing. This is a form of intentional breed genocide. But we're not here to lecture our audience on the evils of breed-specific legislation. We're here to help Distraught find a real solution to a very serious problem. None of us are the sort to just roll over and let the engines of genocide run us over like helpless victims. Elk, no. Every problem has a solution, and every obstacle can be surmounted. Sometimes, it just takes a little bit of creative thinking, and maybe some advice from outside your own viewpoint, girl. That's what we're here for, to help you see the path you already know is there. Now, this may not be the wisest advice for your human partner, but it comes from the heart as a pit bull lover. If it's merely a matter of housing discrimination, fuck it, lie! I've lived in many places that specifically outlaw my boyfriend because of his breed. And here's the thing about pit bulls specifically. The term doesn't really apply to a specific breed. It's just a loose set of characteristics that a number of breeds may vaguely fall under. For that matter, breeds themselves are often so poorly defined that there's plenty of room for interpretation, especially if you don't have a lineage. So, my dog isn't a pit bull. As far as my housing paperwork is concerned, he's a mutt. And he's the sweetest mutt you'll ever have the pleasure of being sniffed by. And since there's no such breed as Pit Bull, it's not as if I'm misrepresenting his breed in any case. A stupid thing like BSL sometimes requires us to reflect that stupidity back on the source. And some creative categorization on your husband's part might be in order here. Now there are dangers to following that advice. 
Not to say that danger is itself reason to turn away, but we'd best be upfront about what the risks are so you two lovers can best design your successful plan of attack here. Well, that's true. While my landlords have never felt the need to check on my dog's breed, possibly because they feel he's so well behaved, there's no reason to suggest it doesn't ever happen. And if your human and his landlord get into a disagreement, your breed could be used as leverage to either evict him or to punish him by attempting to forcibly remove you. In the case of an attempted removal, remind your man that a good lawyer on call is the best way to ensure something dumb like this doesn't result in any actual harm coming to either of you. Whatever the case, if you end up with a landlord feeling like she's got a big lever to use against the two of you, well that's just not a good situation at all. Best avoid it if possible. However, considering how bad humans are at identifying breeds by sight, <laughs> I'm surprised since there's no such thing as a pit bull breed, uh, there still may be a safe bet. Another thing you two might want to try is one of those canine genetics tests being advertised out there. What I hear on the street is that the results they produce are just about random. And in your case, random might just be the trick. Send in some samples from your beautiful body and see what results come back. If that doesn't work, perhaps there's a way you can spoof a friend who has a less tricky genetic background into being you for a genetics test. I'm not saying to do anything shifty, just that, who knows, maybe there's a misunderstanding and your lady friend with the GSD genetics may happen to accidentally identify as you prior to having a hair pulled for genetics testing. We all know mistakes happen, it's just the way that the world works. Sometimes mistakes can help us stay safe, and girl, if it takes a mistake to keep you two together, I say you go out and make some mistakes happen. This sits on something I'd advise, both generally and in really specific terms. Be prepared. Get some paperwork lined up, whatever solution you two choose. Even if that paperwork is just an affidavit, a legally binding type of written statement, an affidavit from your husband that you aren't a hit bull, that's a start. Have several copies, nice and pretty and notarized, ready in a file. If you can beef that file up with some other letters or affidavits from friends who are vets or even just vaguely an authority in any way about dogs and whatnot, that's even better. You can't ever over-prepare in a situation like this, and the paperwork can help to pipe down a landlord or other nebby-doo trying to get an edge. Paperwork shows that you're prepared, have been ready, and, if it's legal stuff, have some kind of experience with the law. That's all straight-up ammunition that can be the difference between success and failure. Get that paperwork done and in hand. Let's be clear here. Breed discrimination is as disgusting as other forms of discrimination. And sometimes, that means working with some creatively structured paperwork to work around the sharp teeth of that discrimination. Once you get out a bit on the limb of creative papering, you're putting some danger under your heels. That's always true. It may be a good choice, but it may be too much risk and best avoided. So... Let's say that aggressive paperwork generation is not a risk your human is willing to take. Honestly distraught, a relationship is a commitment. Is your human willing to give up five years of happiness to, with his beloved lady to pursue a job where your relationship isn't valued? We all know that most humans wouldn't think twice about leaving a pet behind to pursue better economic opportunities. But honey, zoo files are a different breed. What's really more important to a zoo? The well-being of a beloved, long-time partner, or a new job at the expense of that well-being? No zoo worth his salt is going to hesitate on how to answer that question, girl. And if your man is who he says he is, he already knows what's what, and it's just a question of figuring out how to make this work. Between the two of you, I bet you can. I know it. Yeah, I think our position here is pretty clear. Even so, when you're in the dire straits, financially, this can still be a tough question. When someone's stuck between two equally appalling options. But there are always some clever ways around this, if your human is willing to think outside of the box. Often, cities have suburbs that have their own laws. It may be worth the commute if the suburb doesn't have BSLs while the city does. Look into county laws. Often their animal legislation is very different. Heck, we've known zoos who've camped out in cars, slept in mobile campers, you name it. If it's what it takes to put bread on the table and also keep a beloved four-legged partner safe and sound, you do what you gotta do. When it comes to loyalty, to family, that's baseline's reality and always will be. There also may be housing options that don't go through specific realtors that have their own breed-specific policies. When it's not a matter of law, 
take some time to look for alternative avenues of home searching. Privately owned properties may offer leniency on dog breed. Open the scope of what you're looking at, property-wise. Heck, I remember some swishy friends who, back in the day, rented no-questions-asked industrial warehouse spaces for living and loving. Rough and gritty at times, sure. Also, a way to ride around the bourgeois nonsense when it comes to who gets to live with whom. You can also see if a similar position is open in a different city. It's not always an available option, but it might be worth checking into. Or, at the risk of sounding like an asshole, look for a different job. Turn down the one in the city where you can't be safe and happy together. That's an easy choice to make when you love someone if no other options work out. Down toggle. While we're inclined to think of animals first, the reality for humans is that economic opportunities may be fleeting. But distraught, no self-respecting zoo would leave their partners out in the cold, no matter what the stakes are. Homelessness shouldn't even be in the cards. If all else fails, if there's truly no other option, you humans simply must put your needs first, period. That's what love means, and he surely loves you. Fellow zoos, do not give your animal partner away to a stranger. I can't believe I'd even have to say that. Animal predators watch places like Craigslist for free dogs that they can torture and dispose of. This is not safe refuge for someone you consider a partner. A trusted human friend or a responsible family member, maybe, could provide some short-term living arrangements for you as part of a larger plan you two have worked out. You're in a committed relationship, and part of that relationship is making sure your partner is safe and taken care of, period. That obligation simply doesn't have an outer boundary, and he's surely aware that his love for you includes a recognition that he puts your needs first. Maybe that includes some sort of complex setup where you stay with friends for family for chunks of time as he commutes to his new job, or something like that. A lot of times, though, it doesn't have to come down to that. While we've offered a few suggestions, there are plenty of other options to weigh. Distraught, I'm confident that since your partner cares enough about your well-being to do right by you, he'll come up with a plan that works and works well. I know it's scary, and I know it's unfair to even face this obstacle in a relationship that's gone so well for so long. Nobody wants that kind of ugly, just showing up uninvited girl. Being discriminated against sucks. At the same time, facing discrimination is an everyday part of being a human zoophile. And learning how to rise above discrimination and find ways to make things work is a particular skill we zoos have always cultivated as a community. Honestly, just lie. No one even knows what a pit bull is. Seriously, without DNA testing, no one would ever know for sure. And if you're doing the DNA testing right, you might just be able to prove that you aren't even a pit bull. Do what you gotta do to make sure you're safe. And that means you work the system so the system doesn't get a chance to work you. Toggle, down boy. Hmm. You're sexy when you're getting worked up. But I hate to see you get all blue between the legs just as we're wrapping up with distraught. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Having a bit of a zooier than thou moment there, to be honest. Loving someone means that they come first. That's what it means. Distraught's question does make us all step back and see that. And I guess. That's always a good thing to do. Can never do it too much. There's a damn good question. Our thanks to Destroyed for sharing it with us. Yes, well, that was a real doozy of a question. And we're glad to have the chance to provide some perspective and, hopefully, useful ideas to the two of you. Not everything about the life of a zoo is wild sex, long ties, and big flares. <laughs> if only. Truth is, most all of it's about the day-to-day -day realities of loving someone. It's not the glamorous part you see on all those daytime shows that make zoo life out as some sort of non-stop sex party. No, honey, that's TV, not reality. In reality, being who we are takes work and determination, and loyalty, and dedication, and sometimes a bit of creativity when it comes to DNA testing. Meanwhile, we're out of time, and that means it'll be the next episode that we'll be able to share more fabulous advice from deep in the zooey world of love. Keep those questions coming, and we'll keep digging deep as we provide good answers and good advice. Count on it. We'll be here waiting. Same zoo time, same zoo channel. Thanks, friends, for listening to Zooier Than Thou. You can subscribe to the podcast via our RSS feed. Just point your favorite podcast client at rss.zoo.wtf, and off you go. You can even find us on Spotify, YouTube, and Alexa. 
We're everywhere. Our podcast's website is still zoo.wtf. Tweet us at zooier than thou, and you can find Zooey's naughty advice at Ask Zooey. Feel free to send us hate mail through the anonymous form on our website, zoo.wtf. You can tell us you want to suck a massive horse's fat cock, ask Zooey about the best bluegrass love hits for wooing wild boars, or tell us leftist cocks to go fuck ourselves. You can contact co-host Fausty through his website, fausty.org, or contact him using the Twilight Bark. You know how to speak dog, right? Coyote probably won't work. Zooier Than Thou isn't trademarked, and you can share with anyone you want, just like warm hugs. All non-humans who helped make this podcast happen eagerly anointed their humans with the relevant consensual bodily fluids. Mirzidotes and dozidotes and little lambsy divey. A kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Be nice to each other. It's the sexiest, zooiest thing you can do. This is Kion, and I've been your Fausty. And I've been Toggle, at least at some point. We'll see you next time you feel like howling at the moon. Stay defiant, fellow zoos. 